up in our prayers and, and know that uh, they are not alone. Amen? All right. God is so good. We're going to talk today about something that for a lot of us, if, if you've ever gone through it, and some of you, maybe you're in it, maybe you're in the midst of a certain type of battle like this, but uh, it's kind of one of those things that most people won't really admit to being in, maybe afterwards, but usually it's, it may not even be something that they won't admit. It's, it's possibly something that they're going through and they don't even realize they're there. I can tell you from personal experience that I have fought battles, and this is, and we're going to primarily focus on depression. All right, we're going to primarily focus on depression. Now, I'll just be honest with you that all kinds of different things, all kinds of different things, this will apply to in your life. But let me tell you, depression is one of those things that can can grip you, and you don't even realize it's got you. And I didn't mention this last week, but I want to mention it now because there is, you know, we talked about fear last week. There, there are fears, there are depressions, there are uh, grief and sorrow and suffering and pain and, and things we go through that are just simply our bodies, our minds, our wills reaction to those things. And so we go through these different forms. Some of them are coping mechanisms. Some of them are things that God has even put inside of us, like we talked about last week. But one thing I didn't dwell on or talk about last week, but I just want to make clear, is that there is a spirit of fear. There is a spirit of depression. Uh, we are not just uh, fighting our own flesh, which, trust me, would be more than enough, right? But we are also fighting an enemy, an adversary, the devil, who, like a roaring lion, uh, you know, he, he seeks whom, whom he may devour. He is trying to cause you to get off your game. He is trying to take you off course. He is trying to destroy your witness. He's trying to corrupt you any way he can. He will always be fighting against the church until the day he is finally put away for good, uh, thrown into that lake of fire. He's not going to end. He's not going to quit. But I am so excited that greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. Now, I don't have to fear Satan. I don't have to fear demons or spirits because I am in Christ Jesus. And his sacrifice over my life and over your life, if you are in him, is more than enough. Amen? We don't have to fear him, but we do as Christians have to recognize that we've got an enemy. I think, that's, I think that's important. A lot of times in our modern day, we kind of, you know, we just want to put everything to physical, material things. But there is spiritual battles. And sometimes spiritual battles, the only way you're going to win a spiritual battle is on your knees in prayer and, and confessing and reading over the Word of God. I mean, that's what you have need of in those times when that, when that is taking place. So I just... Uh, I want to make sure that's clear as we're talking about this, that sometimes I think it is important that as you begin to realize and the Holy Spirit begins to quicken you and, and cause you to realize that you're going through a trial or you're going through some type of depression or, or something's happening 
that, that you're, you're recognizing, you know, what you're actually battling against and that you're keeping that in the forefront that, uh, you know, uh, we don't just rush, wrestle uh, fleshly things, but we, you know, as Ephesians 6 says, uh, we war after, you know, principalities and powers and, uh, you know, uh, uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, you know, this is not just uh, a physical thing. And I'll tell you from personal experience, I know that to be very true. But depression is one of those things that, I mean, you know, it's hard to, to uh, really uh, pigeonhole. There's different ways that you'll act. You can actually get to despondency where you just literally, you don't want to talk to anybody. You don't really care about anything. It's almost as though you just get numb to all pain, suffering, your loved ones. Many times someone who has become so depressed that they just kind of, Nothing really matters to them. You know, they, they don't really care that, you know, something maybe bad is happening in a relationship or they don't. You can literally become to a point of depression. Uh, you know, there's, there's postpartum depression where literally moms and most, most mothers go through some form of mild depression, you know, postpartum. Usually something like that happens fairly normal. I believe God can give you peace or I don't believe God can protect you from it. Amen. You don't have to go through that, but it is. It is something that's kind of normal, all these different things. It, honestly, been carrying a baby for nine months. It's, uh, you know, most of the time I've found that when depression or, or grief or struggles will kind of kick in is right after mountaintop experiences. So you can imagine if you've been carrying this baby, you've been going through crazy emotions, and now you've got all kinds of different uh, chemicals even running in your body that normally aren't there, and then, you know, nine months later, here's a baby, and all these different expectations, all these different things, it may take you really high and exciting, or it may cause you to say, whoa, you know, I mean, just all different directions. But the truth is, is all we've got is Jesus, amen? All we've got is Jesus. We need each other, but we need Jesus in these situations, in our struggles, in our trials. We've got to have Jesus. We've got to have Jesus. And so I'm just, I'm just believing that you'll see that. There was a a story I want to go with a few different places, but I want to talk to you about the seriousness of this because if you see people going through depression and grief, it is something to take serious. It is something to take serious. If they're not in Christ, uh, you know, they may be overtaken. I don't believe someone who is saved and blood washed, born again, can be uh, possessed by a demon or a devil. I don't believe someone who is blood wash can be possessed. I do believe you can be oppressed. There's a difference. You know, one's on the outside, one's on the inside, okay? But if you've asked the Holy Spirit, if you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and he is living and dwelling inside of you, I will guarantee you there isn't a demon in hell that's going to want to step through those doors. Amen? He don't want to have any part with it. Remember what happened when Jesus walks up to the demoniac and he's standing before him. What are they they saying? Remember when he's walking through different places and all these demons, even before people aren't willing to recognize it, they say, we know who you are. You're the son of the most high God. They were claiming who he was and they were scared to death of him. They knew the power that he had. Isn't it amazing? The Bible says the same power that it took to raise up Christ Jesus from the grave. Guess where it is? It lives and dwells inside of you. Amen. That's pretty amazing. 
that in you is the power of the Most High God and the same resurrection force it took to raise up Jesus from the grave, that's inside of you if you're a blood-bought believer, if you're a child of the King, you've got the Holy Spirit there as a protection, as a covering. But don't, don't uh, mistake it, even a Christian can be oppressed and attacked by the enemy and we have to ward it off through the power of our prayer and praise and word of God and begin to literally claim it, uh, the word of God. Let me tell you about a situation where someone allowed this depression to go unchecked for so long. A woman, uh, many of you will remember in, uh, well, several years back, probably were, I don't know how you'd put it, maybe disgusted by the words you heard of uh, Andrea Yates. Anybody remember that name? A woman, uh, I don't know how you would, I mean, you just in shock that it would show up on the news. A situation like this where a mother of five children would get to a point that when no one was there, she would take each of her kids and, and drown them. Each of them. Every one of them. They would find her uh, with these kids gone. She was so far gone, she had allowed herself, I believe it was nothing other than spirit, uh, demon possession, she was sure that she had to protect them uh, from going to hell and that they, the only way she could do it was that way. Let me tell you something. There is there is, is absolutely clear that if you don't know the word of God, then, I mean, you, you know, if you understand the word of God and you ever hear a voice telling you to do something that's contrary to that word of God, it'll be pretty obvious. Now, most of us would think, how could someone ever get there? But here she is. It really happened. It was a real situation. I remember poss possibly they, they said one of the greatest preachers of the uh, 19th century was a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Anybody heard of Charles Spurgeon? Baptist minister out in uh, London, I believe. I can't remember the exact area. But anyways, huge church. He was mega churches before mega churches were cool, right? You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon talked constantly, and he was actually very open about his depression. Can you believe it? God was using him mightily to save lots and lots of people. People were coming to that church and getting saved. I mean, just literally hundreds and thousands of people that he was able to reach through his ministry, and yet he fought depression constantly. Constantly was fighting depression. Wow. Hard to imagine, huh? I know I've been there. I've actually been to a point, maybe some of you guys will, will relate to this, and I'm just going to be open and honest with you. I really don't. You know, it's one of those things where a lot of people will, uh, you know, well, the pastor's got to look perfect and the pastor's got to be, you know, great. I'll just be honest with you. I kind of, I just kind of let it out there. You can either like it or not like it. But the truth is, I've gone through depression. I remember where I was having this moment in my life where I didn't even realize what was going on. It was about 10 years ago, and we had done some ministry stuff, and man, I mean, great things had happened, and then we went through this battle, and it was just a long-term battle of about a year, and suddenly after that battle, I mean, God did miracles. I could feel the whole afternoon with the miracles God had done, but then there came this point in time after that long period that suddenly, without even realizing it, I just kind of became numb. I remember... I would want to just sleep all the time. Anybody ever been there? It's just like, you just, you just want to sleep all the time. 
Didn't want to get out of bed. Just didn't want to, you know, I, I knew I was a man of God. I knew what God had said in my life. But at that moment, at that moment in time, I just would have rather just stayed in bed, let the world kind of pass by. Let's just get, get everything over with. Going through the motions. I mean, you know, I, I, I knew God was there, but to be honest with you, I was completely desensitized. I couldn't feel him. He seemed a million miles away. Can I tell you, when you get to that point in your life, when you're there, can I tell you this without a doubt? When you think God is furthest from you, that's probably when he's right there by your side, just as close as he's ever been. And I know that to be true. And I'm glad, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that... Uh, you want to live in depression. As a matter of fact, if you're a, if you're a blood, uh, blood-bought believer, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, depression is something that may come in for a moment, but, it, but it'll, it'll pass away because you're going to deliver it over to Jesus Christ. He was the only one that could, could deliver me from it. But I will tell you that going through several bouts of depression was something that I learned to trust in God when I wasn't as perceptive to his voice. Because it's easy to trust in God when you're hearing him moment by moment. When you're going, when you're on cloud nine, when you're living on the mountaintop, and God says, go this way, and you go. And then God says, go this way, and you go. And you see miracles, and you see things happen. It's easy to follow God in those moments. But when you fall on your knees, and it seems like the heavens are brassed over, and you can't hear God for nothing, and you think... God, where are you? And there's many people, Moses, Elijah, Job, uh, I mean, I could just, David, many of them experienced depression. You can see it even in their writings, even in the Psalms. And Job, man, experienced depression. His wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? But in his moment when it seemed like God wasn't there, there was no way God could, would even hear his prayer. But it was in those moments that God was right there. God was right there. God was with them, and he hadn't left them. God was there. God was faithful. And I can tell you in my life, I, I found that to be absolutely 100% true, that I literally pressed on, that I literally began to just praise God and seek God. I remember, you know, at first, the reason why I think I didn't fight my depression is because I didn't realize I was depressed. I didn't realize that I was going through that trial. Now, if you've never gone through it, you may be looking at me odd like I don't get what he's saying. But if you've gone through it, I think you'll know exactly where I'm at. I didn't even know that I was depressed. My wife would say things to me and, and call me on, on the change in my life. And I would think, nothing's wrong. I'm okay. There's, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. But it was there. And suddenly, after a, after a period of time, I finally realized... You know, God, help me. And it was in that moment I began to just cry out to God and trust God that he was going to get me through it. And boy, I'm telling you, he will. He'll bring you through it. He will bring you through it. He is there. You can trust in him. He will. Absolutely. He will. Let's go to Acts, the 16th chapter. Paul was no stranger to adversity. He suffered many trials. He suffered many temptations. Struggles along the path. But he knew where to go in the storms. 
He knew who to cry out to when he was going through a struggle. And I think this is an, an incredible passage. Acts, the 16th chapter, verse 16, it says, And it came to pass, as they went to, to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Can I stop there and say, here again, a spirit of divination. Guys, we do have false prophets, spirits that are demonic, things of that nature. Here's a spirit of divination. I'm telling you, I know some of you play around and think it's just a joke when you see the horoscopes and the things and you think, ah, oh, that's not really a big deal. It's fake. It's phony. And, and I, I understand that some of you, you know, it's just part of the culture. But I'm telling you that a lot of these things, the Ouija boards and the stuff like that, there is demonic gateways, open doors, things that open up your life. Don't allow those things to be a part of your life. I would just, I would just clean them out. If you're doing it and it's just fun, you love Jesus and you're saved, but you, but you think there's no power behind those, let me tell you, there are occultic practices, there are things there. The only one that you need telling you about your life and the direction you got is Jesus Christ. Because if, if you are blood bought by Jesus, let me tell you, the Bible is very clear that the steps of a righteous man, and may I say a woman, they are ordered of God. You don't need a horoscope to tell you where you're going. You don't need any of that stuff. You can trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I know there's no power in them except for the power we give them, but there is a power behind them often. And so please, please, as, as your pastor, I am urging you, if you've got those in your life or, or you, you've got them on Facebook or you got them, I am urging you, don't let anybody tell you your destiny except for Jesus Christ or your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. The same, verse 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us the way to salvation. Now, wouldn't that be great? you got a demon-possessed person who's witnessing for you. They're doing your own testifying for you, but obviously that's not what's happening. Because in this case, it is annoying. It's almost mockery and, and you know, just pointing them out and saying it day after day in verse 18. And this did she many days... But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. There isn't anybody in this world... You know, people that will use you, people that will cause you to go down different paths. Young people, I can tell you, I mean, you've got to be watchful too because they will tell you that they're your friend. They will tell you that you can do all these drugs or these things don't matter or these things don't care. But I guarantee you, if Satan's behind it, he'll do nothing but use you. They didn't care about this girl's soul. They didn't care about who she was. All they cared about was the profit that they were receiving, the money they were receiving. The moment she was delivered and redeemed, by Jesus Christ, they should have been, wow, look, she's, she is in her right mind. But instead, they wanted to use her. And that's exactly what we're seeing in our day. We, you know, uh, sometimes even in Oklahoma, we kind of turn our eye to it. But you know, human trafficking is becoming extremely uh, pervasive. And in Oklahoma, it's happening. Uh, it's happening. You know, and, and I'm not talking about someone who's willfully giving themselves over to someone else. I'm talking about, which I don't, I don't think is right either, but what I'm talking about is someone who has been taken, abducted, 
pulled out from there, and then, and then drugged up and forced to do things that they would never find themselves doing. But uh, it has happened. And, man, we, we need to recognize that. And they don't care about anything. They, they use them up until, until they can't use them anymore, and then they're thrown out. They're garbage, trash, not anymore. I, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ has more in store for those people. And I don't want to be those who are, who are taking advantage of people. Amen. I don't want to be in their shoes on the day of judgment. Amen. I pray they get saved. I pray they turn around. But, boy, I do not want to stand in their shoes on the day of judgment. So here's verse 20. And they brought them to the magistrate saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither observe being Romans. Does that sound like anywhere today that you know? Don't preach the gospel. Don't show us the Ten Commandments. Can't have Bibles in school. Can't have any of these things. Uh, Heaven forbid that we talk about Jesus. You can talk about God. As a matter of fact, very clearly, you can talk about God. You can talk about Muhammad, you can talk about Allah, you can talk about Buddha, you can talk about Gandhi, you can talk about any of those things. But don't you mention the name of Jesus. You know why? Because the name of Jesus, there's power. There's power in the name of Jesus. That when you begin to speak the name of Jesus, if Paul wasn't saying, get out in the name of Allah, he told this girl, in the name of Jesus Christ, you get out of this woman. This spirit must go. It was in the name of Jesus Christ that he did it. You know, I want to be careful even to say, we know when we talk about God and we praise God, praise the Lord, things like that. But the bottom line is God can be used in a very generic way. But when you say Jesus, nobody has a mistake about who you're talking about. They know exactly what you mean. They know exactly. I'll just be honest with you. I don't, I won't, I won't pray in public settings if I'm asked to just pray without saying the name of Jesus. Hey, I'm believing. What do you mean? You mean you want me to uh, pray without power? You want me to pray and have no meaning? Because my prayers would mean nothing if Jesus Christ hadn't died on the cross. My prayers would mean nothing if Jesus Christ... I, I I would be nothing, but because of the veil that was torn because of what Jesus did on the cross, I can boldly enter the throne room of grace. My prayers have meaning and purpose because of Jesus Christ. I love the Lord. There's power in that name. And Jesus Christ is where and why we have purchased the ability to be able to pray prayers and see them answered. Amen? Well, here we go. And the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded them to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the innermost prison and made their feet fast in stocks. I heard someone preach that Paul and Silas were the, were the first to be involved in... Uh, in uh, a 401k or, you know, they were in stocks and bonds. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, God. I know, horrible joke, horrible joke. Uh, horrible joke, <laughs> Think about this. You're preaching the gospel. You're going in the power of Jesus' name. You actually boldly enter a town, and I mean, you've got 
the anointing of Jesus Christ on your life that even the demons are calling you out. They know who you are. You are doing it for Jesus Christ and suddenly you find yourself bound up. You're in a dark place. You've been beaten. And, and this, when they talk about being beaten, Paul talks about being beaten 40 times save one. That was a, when the Jewish people would whip you, they would whip you 39 times. The Romans didn't hold to that view. They would just whip you and whip you and whip you. Matter of fact, they, when they would beat you, they would beat you, and the, and the guy that would do this would know how to beat you in such a way that he could get you close to death but not to die. That was exactly how they were trained to do it. They were, they were, wanting, they were wanting to get you right on the verge of death, but they didn't want you to die. They knew, they were trained in how to beat somebody. Well, here they are being beaten. They've got many stripes upon them, and then they're cast into this prison. I think it's interesting that it doesn't just say they're cast into prison. They are bound up tight, and they are put in the inner part of the prison. Probably down, depending on the type of prison, it would have been possibly some of them did actually have lower areas that were dug down and to, you know, to keep certain prisoners safe, to, you know, and, and like, uh, like we think of like a dungeon or something. So others would have just had, you know, kind of that, that place inside where it's literally taking you in. You're, you're not, you know, you're not going to see daylight. You're not going to see all these things. Isn't it interesting? Here they are, bound up, but why? For the gospel. See, I have gone through things in my life that were my fault. I have actually suffered, and rightly so. You know, bottom line is if you live, if you live in sin, if you've done something sinful anyway, right? The Bible says, here's a, here's a good indicator. If, you, if you're in sin and you can just keep living in it, and you're not convicted, and you're not feeling any kind of condemnation, then you're probably not Christ. You probably need to turn yourself back to God and say, I want to surrender my life to you. Because the truth is, as the Bible says, the Lord chastens, gets on to, those who are his, those he loves. I want to be his. I want to be his child. So if I do something that's contrary to the word of God, or I do something that I know to be right, sin can be pretty simple. It doesn't have to be some blatant, bad, horrible thing. It actually, the Bible defines it as anything that we know to do that's right, and that we just don't do it. So sometimes it's just literally, I'm supposed to do this, but I just go ahead and, and just ignore that, and I do something else. Even that can be sin in your life, right? It doesn't mean, you know, you went and did some horrible thing. So they're not being put in this point of suffering, this pressure point. Now remember, depression is derived from many different directions. We talked about the woman who was, uh, was having the issues because of postpartum depression. We, you know, uh, we talked about Charles Spurgeon who said he would go into depression because after great victories. Often his were after great victories. Things that would happen, right? Mega, mega things. I can tell you that I have, I have learned, after 18 years in ministry, I have learned this to be true. On days where we see mighty victories, we, we, altars are full and people get saved, 
and we see, you know, mighty move of the Holy Spirit and things, I will guarantee you that those are the days that I have to be most careful and most attuned because I'll guarantee you Monday, all of a sudden, that is where, you know, most pastors resign on Mondays. Almost all the resignations come on Mondays. Almost every one. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Tells you a little bit about some, uh, ever, some of y'all are like, yeah, Mondays. Yeah, some are like, yeah, got it, Mondays. But isn't that it? Because that's often you're experiencing this great mountaintop, this great victory. Maybe you've prayed through, and then all of a sudden you come off the mountain, and you're in the valley. You didn't even realize it would happen. It just, boom, all of a sudden, right then and there. But depression comes when we're under pressure, usually for a long period of time. Paul had been beaten, shipwrecked. Uh, they had uh, many times been put in prison. He even says that one time he was stoned almost to death. Uh, matter of fact, they thought he was dead when they stoned him. He had gone through this over and over. Why? For the gospel's sake. And here he finds himself in the middle of a dungeon. It's midnight. And they are, I, I'm, a, I'm assuming they're bleeding. Uh, but we know that they are beating. They're not, they're, they're beaten. I mean, they are hurting. They are sore. They have a lot of reason to just say, God, why have you put us in this situation? Why is it that we would go in the name and power of Jesus Christ and have to be here in the middle of a jail cell when we could be out saving other people and seeing other things happen? But the moment you begin to do that, what you begin to do, and, all, and many of us have gone there. Matter of fact, probably most of us, if we're, if we're being honest, have probably gone there where we start asking God, God, why would you cause me to go through all of these things when, when this is happening? Why would you do that when I'm serving you? I was just talking to, uh, um, oh my goodness, my mind's going blank. Here I am preaching to you. Outside. But uh, I was just talking to Valerie this morning, and, and, and we know that uh, Chad and Shelly, they're about to get the final of their kids. Uh, two more kids, their seven-year-old twins, are coming home. Praise God. They've gone through a long time. Uh, 2011 is what you were saying? Wow. They've gone through a long time of praying and asking God why. And if Valerie, if you don't mind, just what she was praying was God. She was kind of praying that prayer. God, why would you make them go through all of this time? And finally she came. She said, God just spoke to her. I've got a plan. Now, I'm not saying her words exact, but basically God just said, I've got a plan and I've got a purpose. And those other two can't come home until these three do. And now those three are coming home. And then now the two are. The, the three are already here. And the, the other two twins are coming home uh, very shortly. Praise God for that. But God's got a plan. And the same thing was true right here for Paul and Silas. They went through all of that. They went through all that struggle. And here they are. Verse 25. Are you ready for this? Because this is where the victory comes. At midnight. Verse 25. At midnight. Did you hear what I said? At midnight. They were beaten. They were bound in the middle of the day. When everybody was working in the marketplace. That's when that's we know it wasn't, it didn't happen at eleven o'clock. This it says that they took them during the middle of the day in the marketplace before all the magistrates. They brought them there. They put them in jail. They're beaten and sore. I'm sure they didn't feel like opening their mouths or lifting up their arms. They are weary and they are in a dark place. 
but then it says at midnight. I don't know what struck them. I don't know if a little moonlight somehow entered into that room. I don't know what caused them. I'm not sure, but all I know is they knew the word of God. They had seen the, the encounters in the Old Testament. I'm sure they knew the Psalms. I bet that some of their praise was probably singing a few of those Psalms because they knew how to sing them. And here they are, and it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Wow. I will tell you that when you're going through your trial and your storm, just give it a try. Even when you don't understand, just kneel down by your bed. Or, or driving as you're driving, just, just throw on some praise and worship music. You don't feel like it. You don't want to hear it, but just throw it on anyway. And then begin to cry out to God. Now, I can show you encounters in the Bible where people are, are talking to God, and they're talking pretty forcefully, and they're telling God what he ought to be doing and what they should. And I have no problem with that. I'll just be honest with you right now. I believe God is more than big enough to handle you and me and any kind of problems we have. And when we don't understand it, we can take our cares before the Lord. I don't mean that we're disrespectful, but I know that God knows when you're angry. And even if you said it polite, he'd know exactly what you meant. Because he knows you all the way down here, right? So you can speak to your father and you don't have to hold back. You can speak to him and you can let him know your complaints and you can let him know your concerns. But you also have to know that he's worthy of your praise. And he's worthy of your honor and glory. And then you can begin at midnight when the trial seems to be at its worst. See, it's, it's not in the morning when the jail cell is going to be opened up and you get to speak your peace and you get to tell the magistrates, no, I didn't do this, or I'm Roman, or any of those other things, because that's what Paul and Silas could have done. But it wasn't then. It was long before anybody was going to be awake. It was long before anybody was going to be able to set them free. That they just begin to cry out to God and say, God, I know you got a plan. I know you got a purpose. I don't see it. I don't know what's going on. But I'm going to trust you in the storm. And I'm just going to lift up my hands and praise the almighty God and worship him and him alone. And they begin to pray and worship. And guess who heard it? Everybody else around them. You will speak to people around you most, not in your good times, but in your pain and suffering. People will see Christ in you more when you go through your trial than when you're going through the victory. Because they see how you react. I bet you those prisoners were probably thinking to themselves, yeah, them Christians, them guys, they're getting what they deserve. Their beatings. I can just imagine 12 o'clock midnight, sitting on maybe a, a thin little mattress. You've dozed off. You're in your jail cell. Who knows how long you've been there? And all of a sudden, you hear a sound. It's not an earthquake, not yet. It's just a hum or tune. You don't know Jesus, but you can hear a little, little prayer going on in a room next to you. 
I can imagine that jailer. Quiet down. Hush. Don't wake everybody up. Be quiet. They just begin to pray. God, I give myself over to you. Not my will, but your will be done. I have a feeling that Paul, having heard the others, having heard Peter talk about seeing Jesus in the wine press, that's what Gethsemane means, the wine press where they squeeze the, where they, where they squeeze, I'm sorry, the olive press, where they squeeze the olives to get oil. And here's Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying because he, I mean, it says that he's in such pressure, in such depression. That, I mean, literally, I mean, it's squeezing him. This is our Lord and Savior. It is pushing on him, but he's not going to give up because he knows exactly where to go. And he's talking to his heavenly father and he begins to just cry out to him. God, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I don't know what it was that sparked in Paul and Silas's mind, but they just began to pray, God, not my will, but your will be done. I know that they were, they were hearing it, that God is going to work it out. And I could take you to other passages of Scripture where Paul was very clear that he knew that through his trial, God was going to bring out glory, that all things work together for good, who those are, who those are called according to his purpose. Paul knew it, he believed it, and he lived it. And here they are, praying out, crying out for deliverance. Crying out for deliverance. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed, and the keeper of the prison walked out of his, of his sleep. And seeing the prisoner doors open, he drew out his sword and would have not killed the others. He was going to kill himself. There's a little history behind why that would have happened, but he was responsible for all those prisoners. If they had actually gotten free, which is what he thought had happened, he would owe all of their debt. He would have had to stay in jail until every single one of those prisoners had, gotten, uh, had paid their debt. He would have to pay it for them. That was how it worked. And so he was just going to end it all. Isn't it amazing? Kind of fits with some depression. I wonder if he was already going through a struggle, and then he saw that, and he said, this is it. I can't take it anymore. And he's about to end his life, but God had a different plan. See, God had already knew where this prisoner was living. You don't usually just go in and say, I'm going to end it all, just on a whim. He was already there. And what, is, what does it say? God put Paul and Silas in a place where nobody else was listening to him, but now they're in the middle of the innermost part of the cell, and here he speaks out. The prisoner going to get saved. Matter of fact, what does he say? He says, and the keeper of the prison, oh, I'm sorry, uh, 28, Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Every, I love it. Now, I don't know what happened to those other prisoners, but I know that they were, they were uh, pretty nervous and pretty scared about what was happening. They heard a little prayer, they heard a little praise, and then, boom, power of God shook that place something supernatural happened. It wasn't just a normal earthquake because every one of their bands were suddenly loosed. Not just Paul and Silas, but every single prisoner in that place. Your prayer and your praise doesn't just affect you. You, don't, you can't do that in a box. You let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And when you begin to pray, when you begin to praise in your storm, you are opening up the door for other people to have their bands loosed because they can see God working in you and it begins to stir something up in their soul. And I don't know that they got saved, but I will tell you that when people start seeing your life and how you believe in God and how you live for God, they will start asking a lot of questions. Just like this man 
finally says in verse 30, or in verse 29, it says, then he, then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling, fell down before, before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What depression have you walked into this house with? It may be mild, it may be severe, it may be something major. I don't know, maybe you just walked in here and you, are, you, you don't even know if you're really saved. You haven't given your life over to Jesus Christ. You're not living for Him. I don't know what it is. I don't know where. Maybe you have lived for Jesus Christ your whole life, but right now it just seems like the heavens are brassed over. You've just gotten to a point where you could just care less what happens. You're ready to just kind of, you know, this is all. I, I just would rather just coast through this world. I don't want to think about it anymore. Charles Spurgeon said this, I am heartily ashamed of myself for falling into despondency or depression, but I am sure there is no remedy for it like a holy faith in God. Charles Spurgeon figured it out. I put my trust in him. Do you have nowhere to turn? Psalms 9.9, the Lord is my refuge for the, for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. Are you saying, I'll never get it all done? Well, then wait on the Lord and be of good courage, for He will strengthen your heart. Do you think nobody hears you? Psalm 31, 22 and 24. You heard my cry for mercy when I called for you for help. Be strong and take heart, all who, are, who hope in the Lord. Are you surrounded by trouble and heartache and you can't seem to get away? Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from some. No, but the Lord delivers them from all of them. The righteous may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from all of them. Are you in Christ Jesus? Because I will tell you that he may not lead you around the water, but he will lead you through the waters. Amen. They will not overtake you. Amen. Well, I cannot get, I can't get out of this darkness. Just like Paul and Silas, you are stuck and bound tightly in the darkness. Are you saying that today? Well, Psalms 18, 28, for thou wilt light my candle. The Lord, my God will enlighten my darkness. You can't go to a dark place anymore with Christ Jesus, because the moment you walk in, you brought light into that dark place. He is with you. He is a, a guide for your path. He lights your way. You have nowhere to turn. No one to go to. Psalm 91, 1 and 2. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I trust. Well, I'm in too much trouble. Well, God is your refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not, we will not fear Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, are you restless and can't sleep at night? Well, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. I don't know what decisions to make. I don't know what ways to go. Well, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight or direct your paths. I have no confidence. I'm completely shaken. As a man of God, as a minister, I've been there. Well, you wonder how you're even going to stand up in the pulpit because your critics are too many, because you've you got too many people coming against you. You don't even know if you, God, I, I just, you start to fear everything. Let me tell you what, most pastors, 
if they're not careful, they listen too much to all the naysaying. Everybody's always got some complaint. Right? Now, now, don't get me wrong. You, you, you know, me, I, I listen when I want to get better at preaching. I want to be better at ministering. And so certainly, you know, I have people that I surround myself that I can trust them to tell me the truth. You know, because it's great when, oh, man, awesome sermon, awesome sermon, you know, okay, you know great. And I, I hate it that some of them, you know, I, I forced them into lying because they just don't, they don't want to tell me the truth. But, <laughs> no, I, that's a good thing. I, I, I'm appreciative when people tell me that. But I also have people around me that I know I can trust them. They're not there to, to put me down or anything, but they can tell me, well, you know, this you know, boy, you got to really work on this. Or, you know, this was an area that, man, that'll really help if you change this or do that. Because I can't see everything. I don't, I'll be honest with you, I just stand up here. I don't have a clue how it all turns out. I just leave that up to God. Right? But it's easy for a pastor to get bogged down where you walk up to the pulpit and you have no more confidence. Many pastors walk up and they don't have confidence. The only way I find it, the only way I get it, is when I just kneel down and pray and begin to seek God. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, man. I Even sometimes Sunday mornings, man, I just, when the worship team's going, you better believe I'm getting into it. I'm thinking, I'm praying, God. I'm, I'm praying right there. I, I'm allowing God to work through me and speak through me. And I just believe, I build up myself in the Most High God. I build up my faith. Because otherwise, I'd stand up there and there's no way I could preach. There's no way I could minister. And I think many pastors feel the same thing because all week long, the Satan's been finding every way he can to put in a gouge or put in a way to cause you to think, well, no, man, there's no way that this sermon will work. Do you know what? I could get up here. I've, I've known ministers that get up and they just read. Seymour Williams, Azusa Street Revivals, early 1900s. He did this. Pentecostal Revivals. You know the ones where all the crazies came out, right? I know, Right? Pentecostal, I mean, shaped our world. The Assemblies of God was part of uh, coming out of that, right? Literally, more ministry and missions and empowering of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's incredible what happened in the early 19th century, or 18th, or I'm sorry, 20th century, 1900s. When he came out, William Seymour, they said he would put his head under, under the pulpit under, in a box because he was so fearful and scared. But he just literally read out his message, and people were... were I mean, it was incredible, the move of the Holy Spirit that was taking place. People falling out. People just, just hearing the voice of God and speaking to them and telling them to go into ministry and missions and, and works and different things all over the world and literally shaped the world. But he was, he was literally, I, I, don't, I want God to have his way. Amen. I'll tell you some of my worst sermons I've ever preached in my mind. Yes, there are worse even than today. Some of the worst sermons I ever preached would be the sermons where the most fruit would come out of them. Where, where it was literally, it was God could, could show me that, hey, if you'll just preach, I'll make myself known. I'll speak to people. I, I can't preach to every need. You're going through too many different things in this room. All of you are going through different things, but the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now in his own special way. He's talking to you in a way that I didn't even prepare my message that way, but the Holy Spirit's speaking and talking to you. Are you fearful around people? 
Psalm 27, hey, if you're fearful around people, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? We can trust in him. If you have no confidence, truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Is the burden too much to bear? Let me end it with this. Is the burden too much to bear? Have you been overwhelmed? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come, on, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Would you stand?